You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. Oh yes, we're back again. We're back, and happy... Happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. At? Yeah, happy everything. Um, happy happy end of year celebration. <laughs> happy winter solstice. Ha- oh, did that already pass? Happy, I don't know. No, wait. No, no. This is not aired on. No, because winter solstice is 21st. Oh, okay. So happy all of it. Um, and um, happy end of 2020. We're yes. Just, oh, That's God. what the real, like New Year's at my house <laughs> Like I'm gonna celebrate. Like I, I was like, New Year's is gonna be so lit. It's gonna and be then I'm like, you and David just trying to I'm stay up. Open four bottles of champagne just to like just pop the lids off and like there you go. Yeah, trying to stay up. Like last night, I was like, we're gonna stay up so late tomorrow because you don't have to work tomorrow, or we're gonna stay up so late because you don't have to work tomorrow. I'm in bed at like ten o'clock. Yeah, <laughs> I like, just can't do it anymore. Yeah, no, it's too much. But yeah, you know what? Congratulations to everyone that's made it through. <laughs> Congratulations. That's what we need. Congrats for escaping 2020. Congrats yes. for finishing 2020. New merch coming soon. <laughs> yeah, right. You made it. You survived 2020. Yeah. There you go. You that's survived right. 2020. Hey, speaking of new merch, we've got a lot of cute new merch. We yeah. had a new we had a new updated um graphic and that's on a lot of our stuff. We've got stuff with Vima on it. Yeah, super cute little cartoon. We're like yeah. little I don't even know what you were like almost little pop figures or something yeah. like it's really cute I love it and so hoodies and there's also stickers. a few other designs I added to our shop um, okay. because we can add other queer artists art to our shop that okay. also host on that platform so I've added a few other various things there's this one where it's like uh, two fingers and a tongue sticking through it <laughs> Very obviously lesbians pretty cute <laughs> um, we also have a um, that's lesb- the one that should have lesbian undertones on well, it well I didn't design that one. Oh, okay um, also, we have a lesbian undertone shirt on it. Speaking <laughs> Finally. Of, um, after we've been talking about it for three years, I think now. We're going to be three years old in June. Wow. <laughs> Dude, uh, you know what would be good? Having like a blatantly queer picture. You know how you shared that one on our Instagram or something where it's like two women in bed together. Like this is me with my bed mate. Like a picture like that with lesbian undertones. Oh my God. Yeah. Where it's like a historical, like <laughs> clear. They're like making out and they're like, wow, look at these two best friends. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, like what, what the hell are you talking about? It's exactly. Exactly stuff like that. Like you see two women on there and they're like, you can see some homoerotic undertones. Undertones, what the fuck are you talking about? They literally have their tongues in each other's mouths. <laughs> exactly. Where are the undertones? They're naked. She's grabbing her boob. I'm not seeing There's... what's <laughs> undertone about this. <laughs> but yeah. Anyways. <laughs> Check out our merch. It's really fun. Um, it goes on sale very often and we don't only have branded things on there. If you just want a generic pride shirt, a generic lesbian shirt, a generic gay shirt. If you want a sound clip of my kids running up and down. You got it in this episode but, and the last three. But um, <laughs> no, we just have, we have great things on there. It really is, uh, in my opinion, the most affordable merchandise you will find. Our t-shirts go on sale for as low as $13. You don't You find, will never yeah. find something branded or merchandise from an, uh, um, 
a podcast or any source of entertainment for less than 25 30 bucks so we've got stickers for as low as two bucks a dollar fifty sometimes magnets like you can really just get anything and um just like our patreon that money goes directly back into the podcast the merchandise with vima on it we are donating to the center for sexual pleasure and health um just to help that organization out because they are also doing great work yes yeah so all this our stuff going to good stuff and next week we have an annual update for you on all the things that we've done at your queer story this year and our plans so for next year so you'll you'll have to check that out but other than that how was your week <laughs> my week was great um david did this little demo at work um about how to there he they're all working remotely so all of them kind of signed up to do a little workshop where they can all watch them do something Mm -hmm. um so david did this really cool thing about like uh cutting fruits into shapes of like animals okay didn't know that was a thing (laughs) but apparently maybe they do it at fancy restaurants you know you get your your plate with your fruit out on it and it has just like cut as animals okay (laughs) um making some coquito which is really good it's like coconut milk and all this other delicious stuff. It's like a Christmas holiday drink. Okay. Um, and the usual work and playing video games. Hopefully my mental health hasn't been that bad. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to hope throw that out there since, uh, you know, pre-recorded. I've all, been but. trying to uh, hide all my boxes that come in from various places. Etsy, UPS, USPS, some the amount Amazon. of boxes I have received this oh, year. Oh, for Christ's sake. <laughs> uh, everyone, right? But like, especially at Christmas time, mm-hmm. just like, where am I going to hide them in my house? I, my house felt so big when me and Samantha moved in, just the two of us almost two years ago. And now it's feeling really small. I can imagine <laughs> that, yeah. With two kids, you know, they, yeah. it's really cool that you did give them their own little space of the house. So that's, I'm sure they really enjoy that. Yeah, what do you mean? Like, like they have the upstairs. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, like they have the whole upstairs yeah, of the house. So that's pretty cool. I'm sure they like, do they run up there? No, they run above us while we're recording. But yeah, they have a whole upstairs where they could run around. <laughs> no, that would make too much sense. That is their space. Their space is not for running. Their space is for relaxation. Their space is for tearing up and, and destroying within seconds of cleaning it up. Mm-hmm. And then when you're like, all right, we're going to clean up the rooms, the waterworks, the the drama. The, how could you make us do this? I didn't make this mess. You made the mess. Pick your clothes up. I don't know where to put them. Oh my god! My favorite was the other day when I walked into Jay Lisa's room and she has this massive pile of dirty clothes on the floor, and I walk over and I look at her hamper and her hamper is completely empty. And I was like, "Why are the clothes here?" Listen, I'm 28 years old and I just learned that skill. Okay, some people learn at different paces. They're they're, they're 10 steps away from each other. Yeah, just put yeah. them in the hamper. I have three oh. hampers and laundry baskets upstairs. The clothes still made it on the floor. Yeah. Well, Shout out to us, Messi. No, I've done <laughs> a lot better. People. In 2020, since we've been home so much, we've really grown a lot as far as making sure our space stays tidy because well, we're yeah, constantly in it. Yeah. In, the, in times like this, like before it'd be like you weren't home that much. So you just, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But now being home, I, I can't. I'm home 24 fucking seven. Same. Aside from one day a week where I do a few visits to clients and I have to see face to face. But other than that, I don't go anywhere. So I need it clean. Mm-hmm. It's very important to me. But anyways, but yeah, all I did this week was, so of course the Elf on the Shelf saga continues and Joshua had, he wanted to watch the Elf on the Shelf movie. There's no Elf on the Shelf movie. Can't explain that to him. There's an Elf on the Shelf series 
And he's like, well, we'll just watch the series. I was like, we're not going to sit here and watch an entire series off the shelf. So Why I'm, not? I'm looking up stuff, <laughs> and I find this elf man, which is about an elf that becomes a superhero. I'm like, he's going to love this. And he did love it. Also, worst movie ever. Uh, it was absolutely horrible in every way. I hated every second of it. He loved every second of it. So I guess it was a win in that respect. But I don't suggest it. And it wasn't it. horrible where it's funny. Like, you know, no, like the one not we- <laughs> so bad that it's funny. Like, bad that it's just bad. And you're like, why did I do this to myself? And Samantha wanted to watch the Polar Express. And I said no, because we've all seen the Polar Express. But we should just watch the Polar Express. Well, now you know. You should always listen to Samantha. <laughs> because nine times out of ten, she's right. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but yeah. Um. I do want to do a quick plug on here. If you're not, if you haven't seen on our social media, you can request a free HIV kit from Sojourner House. Yes, please request them. Even if you don't think you have AIDS, even if you don't think you have HIV, you could have potentially been exposed and not know it. It is better to get tested and have, it is better to be 99% sure that you don't have it, get tested and confirm that you don't have it than to just not know. Living and not knowing is always a fear that you have in the queer community because I remember when I was 20, 21, and uh, you know, I lived in constant fear because I hadn't been tested. I didn't yeah. test myself. I didn't test myself. And then there was always that thought like, well, you know, this is something very serious. And then I got tested one day and you know what? I was so relieved and I didn't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. It took a huge weight off my chest that was subconsciously always there. Yeah. And, and it's so easy and we've said this so Journer House they partnered with us they will mail you out an at home HIV kit you take it you swab the inside of your gums you wait 20 minutes it gives you a positive or negative um, a positive or negative uh, reaction and then uh, someone from Sojourner House follows up in a couple days if you need extra resources they put you in touch with extra resources but you don't have to sign up for anything you don't have to identify as they serve victims of domestic violence and sexual assault but you don't have to identify that way you don't have to uh, join any program or pay for postage there's nothing. no email lists there's no credit card information no. it is literally free the shipping is free mm-hmm. they will literally just give you this test to make sure you're healthy get it take it and know your uh, status yeah so anyone in the united states you can request this through the end of december and you can uh, reach us at yqspod.message yqspod.com slash message msg like the shorthand it's three letters yqspod.com slash message you can also message us on our social media and we will put you in touch with cassie hawkins uh, reach out to us in any way, social media, email, that website. We will put you in direct contact. That's so, right. And if, we'll get it to yeah. you. And um, we've already sent out, um, they've already sent out over 10 tests. So, uh, and there's plenty more. So mm-hmm. check that out and do that. Get that as a little extra Christmas gift to yourself right. this year. Yeah, a free Christmas gift. And the fact that they follow up with you a couple of days later, that's pretty incredible because yeah. then you don't have to worry about reaching out to somebody. You know somebody's going to follow up with you. Yep, yep. So... Anyways, with that being said, let's launch into our episode. All right. Today, we celebrate and recognize the 47th anniversary of homosexuality being delisted as a mental disorder by the American Psychiatric Association. Of 
course, there was and continues to be much work to be done for the LGBTQ in relation to the field of medicine. However, today we want to focus on the wins over the last century and how our movement went from a group of so-called insane sexual deviants to a thriving openly queer revolution. And as we look back on this year and the devastating effects of COVID-19, we want to dedicate this episode to the frontline healthcare workers who have remained in the trenches against insurmountable odds. Your work and your sacrifices are seen and very much appreciated. Thank you. Yes, um, definitely, definitely do. Uh, if, you know, if you've worked through this last 10 months of hell, thank you so much. Everyone on every imagine. level. Couldn't imagine. Yeah. I would probably have quit. Like, I'm going to be real honest. The stuff that these people have went through, the extended hours, the constant unsureness of what's going to happen next, their health being at risk Mm -hmm. every single day. Yeah. Unquestionable how much uh, willpower and dedication that truly takes. Yes. So thank you. Thank you. Now we launch into a complicated and tumultuous relationship that has spanned nearly 150 years of medicine. Beginning with the 1869 coining of the term homosexual by journalist and activist Karl Maria Kurtbeni. Kurtbeni. It's a German, so... Germans are all over. You just met- throw LGBTQ. letters next to each other and it makes a sound. <laughs> That's right. So prior to this time period, sodomy laws ruled the day. After the Christian church's worldwide crusade to outlaw queer identities, sometimes called missionary work, most, the best <laughs> people in the world. most countries had implemented severe punishments for acts of sodomy or safic practices. That's lesbian undertones. Mm-hmm. But Kent, Kent Benny... I'm going to get it. But Kurt Binney began to anonymously campaign for the decriminalization of LGBTQ plus people, and his advocacy soon reached the ears of prominent physicians of the time, including the well-known sexologist Carl Heinrich Ulrich. I'm glad you're getting the names. Ulrich, <laughs> or Ulrich, however you say it, was actually a jack-of-all-trades. He held the title of lawyer, activist, writer, journalist, and eventually sexologist. Which I feel like every man in the late 1800s was like, yeah, I do all these things. Well, like they didn't have any, like, there was no laws. You didn't have yeah. to get a fucking PhD. Degrees. You didn't need a master's degree. <laughs> you could just be like, yeah, I, I read a few books, so now I'm a sexologist. Right. But, Basically, I mean, that's like Abraham Lincoln, you know, like he he's a lawyer and he's a farmer and then all of a sudden he's a congressman and then the next thing you know, he's literally running for president. Mm-hmm. Has no real training no real experience but but now we fucking put barriers on everything that yep. uh limit poor people from accessing the same uh education and resources and knowledge and careers uh that wealthy people can access because they're barred behind an eighty thousand uh, dollar student loan. student loan that nobody wants to fucking pay exactly um sexology is the scientific study of human sexuality and the field is somewhat outdated in modern medicine However, throughout the end of the 19th century and well into the 20th, the medical field was booming with the likes of Sigmund Freud, Richard von Kraft Ed Ebbing, and Magnus Hirschfeld. Ulrich remained the ter- Ulrich made the term homosexuality popular as he traveled the world educating doctors, journalists, and lawmakers on same-sex attraction. He was one of the earliest individuals to have a public coming out in an era that now saw LGBTQ identities as abnormal or something to be hidden. It was largely due to his efforts that the field of sexology and the focus on queer identities began to peak the interest of the medical field. And you know what's so incredible about all of these crazy laws and all of this westernization of 
sexuality is because in these same times if you look at like uh island life if you look at asian life a lot of uh those cultures if you are not straight you might even be seen as something of closer to god Mm -hmm. you might be seen as some shaman or leader and then if you look at western culture especially with like christianity and catholicism it's a demonized thing where you are a deviant you are not normal you do not fit into the society and it's just so incredible to see how different sides of the world react to the same exact thing yeah and it's all based on religion well i mean in western europe when i say when we say coming out basically you know western europe had the same ideas before the height of christianity and before really uh thomas aquinas Mm -hmm. like you had these ideas that you know men have sex with men and women have sex with women and that's just what the romans right and then that all of a sudden there's this reform in the church where that's suddenly bad and then in you know the 1500s you see a lot of laws come into play and so then all of a sudden queer people have to go into hiding and that's where we see this new idea of coming out so Mm -hmm. when urich comes out in the late 1800s it's only because that's it's not because it's any something new even though it's being passed off that way it's because the church has spent 200 years telling people that this is wrong and should be hidden and he's like well it's not really wrong and that's why the entire field of sexology developed because the church had beaten this into the minds of western europe and all of its colonies that this is something that's wrong and sexologists started to come forward and say well it's not wrong and and again like like i said i i did a presentation on this at a local hospital recently and virtually virtually <laughs> yes it was recently and it was virtually but um it was on um i said use the term sexologist and the doctors were like what is what is that and I was like, oh, well, it's the, you know, it's a, like today you might call an endocrinologist or you might, you know, it would be mm-hmm. refer to a specific form of medicine. But back then, anyone who studied sexuality or gender identity was considered a sexologist. Mm-hmm. So I'm explaining to doctors their own, like with their own terminology that used to be used. It's because it's buried. Nobody knows about it. Yeah. And, um, if you're wondering how they could all of a sudden go from Greek and Roman free sex everywhere to all of a sudden these strict uh, crackdowns, you immediately see the church come in and crack down on everything. They There was no internet. There was no access to public knowledge. Anything that they didn't want you to know, they would just burn. Yeah, so if, literally. So if they're coming in, they're taking over your civilization, they're burning these historical records, they're born, burning these books and knowledge, and then they're the ones in charge of your education and bringing up the next generation of people. It's mm-hmm. so easy to see how an entire civilization can be brainwashed and converted into believing that something that was so normal and everyday is something to be demonized. Yeah, and literally within a hundred years, we really do see that because mm-hmm. when you see, when you see the Buggery Act take place in what 1533, 1583, it's one of those two I always get it mixed up. <laughs> but it takes place in the 1500s. By the early 1700s, when you see the way missionaries are riding about the queer natives they're encountering this mindset where they're just completely shocked and dumbfounded like mm-hmm. what how did this ever come to be like motherfucker you're a hundred years removed from that what are you talking about yep. <clears throat> but every time there's a hero there is also a villain and while Carl Ulrich worked to show that queer people were not criminals or deviants he met his counterpart in Richard von Kraft Ebbing Ebbing was the first to use the term homosexual in his writings, only Ebbing believed that queer people were mentally disturbed. This showed through in his 1886 book title, Psychopathia Sexualis. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's clear. His book also popular, popularized the terms sadist, masochist, bisexual, and necrophilia. In his beliefs, Ebbing saw all of these as variations of the same type of mental disorder. He advocated for consideration of sex deviance disease during sentencing, but firmly held that these people were dangerous. His works would be used for nearly a century to justify the imprisonment and later institutionalization of LGBTQ people. Wonderful. I'm surprised I didn't see uh, bestiality or, you know, uh, pedophilia in that list of horrible things, which I'm sure it was probably sprinkled in. I'm sure it was sprinkled in. These were newer terms for Mm -hmm. that time. So pedophilia had been around for a while. Uh, Bestiality was linked with the Buggery Act. It actually Mm -hmm. talked about that. This was new terms. People hadn't heard the terms bisexual or necrophilia. Yeah. So these Um, are just the new ones. These were the newer ones. But again, this was so important. And this is where we talk about like what medicine has done for LGBTQ people, because in some respects it is the reason that we have the freedoms we have today and on equally it is also the reasons that we face the discrimination we have today mm-hmm. because it was just so ingrained in people that no they're sick yeah they're sick the, they're yeah, sick because they're there's sick. doctors coming forward and saying this is you know doctor like it's shifted in the in the 1800s with sexology taking rise there was a shift from the church telling us how to view lgbtq people to science and medicine telling us how to view LGBTQ and who the fuck people. do you question if the if the fucking top doctor of the time is like no they're sick what it's gonna be hard yeah, to question it how you know? are you going yeah how are you going to get your information yeah yet though ebbing's work uh you know the yet though ebbing's works were kept on hand by bigots and fear mongers it would be magnus hirschfield and sigmund freud who truly captivated the medis- medical world and remain celebrated figures to this day the two men had different approaches to queer identities though they certainly veered far from Ebbing's stunted beliefs. For his part, Hirschfeld was quite the advocate and educator, issuing his first pamphlets on gay love in 1896. Sappho and Socrates explained the naturalness of same-sex attraction. The physician was quite moved by his gay patients and the fact that so many either committed suicide or attempted suicide. He believed that science in fact could shift public opinion of homosexuality, and in some respects, he was right but he underestimated the power of unfounded fear and hate. And you're seeing that unfounded fear and hate today by our current president. Exactly. I am so excited one day to finally, I'm making the commitment next year to cover Magnus Hirschfeld. I have a book on him coming. And I mean, this man was just way ahead of his time. He was an incredible person. He was an ally. Um, But yeah, he was moved when he began to treat patients and he would see so many of his queer patients had scars on their body from attempted suicide. And he saw, he recognized, you know, whereas Ebbing was like, well, you're attempting suicide because you have a mental disorder and it's driving you to be insane. Hirschfeld was like, well, no, society is treating you this way. They're imprisoning you. They're forcing you to deny who you are. Obviously that's why you're wanting to kill yourself. We need to change that. Yep. And he was advocating hard and, and really just, Oh God, he revolutionized what it meant in Berlin. He's the reason that we have, we had early surgeries for transgender people. He was the reason for so much of the things that we had, the little progress that we did make in the first half of the 20th century. As Magnus worked for equality for gays and lesbians in Germany, a young neurologist was building the new field of psychology. Sigmund Freud was possibly been the most frustrating large player in a queer history of medicine. His desire to overanalyze everything combined with his wide generalizations left a lot of confusion in the realm of sexual identities. It also laid the foundation for many of the stereotypes around queer people which further muddied the waters of treatment and therapy. 
Freud believed that every person was made up of both genders and therefore every person was born bisexual. It was our nature or nurture that led an individual to the path of homosexuality or heterosexuality. Though Freud did not see queer identities as inherently wrong, it wouldn't be fair to say he saw them as normal. Heterosexual cisgender identities were certainly the preferred way and this shone through in the science through in the sympathetic way he spoke about LGBTQ people. Freud was also a proponent of inversion theory, the idea that people are gay because they are really transgender. This theory had been made popular by sexologist Havelock Ellis, originally credited with, credited with coining the term homosexuality. However, that is not true. Ellis and Hirschfeld were hard at work on early transgender theory and treatment. But while Magnus saw gender identity and sexual orientation as separate, Ellis conflated the two. Freud's preference and promotion of Ellis's writings would add fuel to the sweeping studies and lectures on inversion therapy. And sorry, I just had a couple of cl oh, yeah, clarifications. So like, again, I, I'm not saying that Freud was not did not support queer people. He still just thought like this is this variation is wrong. It's a deviance. I don't think that queer people should be punished for that. It's not their fault that they're queer. But we definitely would prefer if people could be straight says gender i just don't think it's true yeah. and then that leads to the idea of how do you make a man a man how do you make a woman a exactly woman? and then that just builds on the whole gender construct that we see today right and he was also really sad about the fact that queer people couldn't be cured he didn't believe it was curable curable but he wasn't like well you know it doesn't need to be cured he was like too bad i just too don't bad think we that can't can help be. Him, yeah and that was very depressing for a lot of queer people because they want it to be cured but then the top psychologist of the day, the man who created psychology as we know it, is telling them that they can't be cured and just too bad that you can't. Mm -hmm. um, and then just one clarification, because we've said this a couple times in our own ep episodes, have like Ellis did not coin the term homosexuality. That was a common belief for a long time, but then it, it turned out that Ellis rejected that and it was coined by the uh, the journalist Kurtzbini or whatever I said <laughs> earlier. <laughs> um, anyways, but yeah, just clarifying that. All right, and with that, we will be right back. And we're back. Um, and so we're talking about how we evolved from this place in, in history where Christianity led the day and led the narrative around LGBTQ people. And then as the uh, 1800s, the 19th century came to a close, we see the emergence of the field of sexology and we see medicine take over and begin to explain orientations and identities. And this is where the medical field took the power over queer people's destinies. And we had, we had, different you know different pers i don't want to say different perspectives we had two different warring beliefs we have richard von kraft ebbing who believes that yes queer people are born that way but they are deviants and they're sick and it's like it's like being a born uh, psychopath mm -hmm. um and then we have people like magnus hirschfeld and uh carl urich who see it as a natural part of human humanity Yes, it's different than straight people. That doesn't different is not bad. And these two warring beliefs really take root in Western civilization, especially in England and America. Yep. And I can uh, let you all guess which side the church backed. <laughs> <laughs> what could it be? <laughs> So in 1914, Magnus Hirschfeld published possibly the most comprehensive study of queer culture in the first half of the 20th century. The homosexuality of men and women tracked cases and stories of LGBTQ plus people in countries all around the world. 
Hirschfeld wanted to prove that queer people had always existed. The book should have been a bombshell and was somewhat popular, but the outbreak of World War I that same year greatly stunted its outreach. When the war ended, Magnus went back to working and advocating for queer communities. He had coined the term transvestite in 1910 and continued to develop his theories around gender identity. By the 1930s, he had organized the first Congress for Sexual Reform, started the Institute for Sexual Sciences, and categorized 64 different variations of orientation and identity. During this brief period of queer utopia in Berlin, Hirschfeld and his team were, get, were even able to issue certificates to transgender individuals, which allowed them to freely express their gender without social harassment. And isn't it so interesting? You see this like slight peak in the 1930s before the great 1950s where everybody gets shoved right back under. It's just, I, you have to wonder how different the world would be without World War II. Like, in some ways it would be better and in some ways it would be worse. I don't know. It definitely would be better for queer people because there was such, all around the world, there was such a strong emergence of queer culture in the 30s. Sexology was taking off. They had it in the bag. And then the Nazis came along and it just set it, the movement back a and good 30 years. So many innocent yes. lives that just, just because, just yep. because they could. But Hitler's rise brought the sexual revolution of Berlin to an end and the institute was destroyed by Nazi soldiers. Hirschfeld would pass away in 1935, leaving behind an incredible legacy. However, in America, a new wave had swept the medical field's treatment of queer people. Now it seemed that every doctor, psychiatrist, and local hack was seeking a cure for the disease. Throughout the 1920s, the advocacy, the advocacy to decriminalize homosexuality had resulted in lighter, lighter prison sentences, though often accomp accompanied by a public outing and harsh fines. Another requirement was a psychological evaluation that included a stay in an institution and sometimes resulted in castration. The studies all around homosexuality and transvestites had allowed people to realize they weren't alone. But the prospect of remaining this way had driven countless individuals, along with their friends and family, to seek a cure for the disease. And you saw this throughout in like literature of the time. I mean, The Well of Loneliness is a perfect example where now queer people realize, okay, this is a real thing. It's a queer, a real mm -hmm. identity. But as Freud put it, you know, too bad it can't be cured. And maybe it can because mm -hmm. I heard this guy over here has got an idea and this guy. And that was literally how it did. Everybody mm -hmm. was hawking And you know, we can, stock, we can strap you to a machine. And it'll give you some shocks. That mm -hmm. might fix your brain. Yeah. We can stick an ice pick through your nose. Really? It's like, what, what can we try? Like, what can we try? You know, I'll try this. We I'll can submerge you in a bath and lock you in there for, you know, a hundred and something degree bath. Lock you in there for a couple hours. Then dip you in an ice bath. Leave you in there for a couple hours. That might work. Uh, we can... can castrate you that might work um just any form of like uh horrendous like torture. torture yes and what is a thought you'd really just gonna jolt it out of the person that you're like oh you just gotta fry your brain a little bit and then you'll be cured <laughs> and be you fine. might not be able to think or remember anything for the rest of your life but at least you're not queer anymore thank god you're gonna wander around this institute for the next 30 years and not even know where you're at oh but, i just uh, read the whole next paragraph without yeah, reading it basically yeah that's no, all right you gave him a nice precursor anyways to so summarize up, plenty of bizarre experiments became a result of the desire to cure that mental disorder the 1920s saw a brief spike in testicular transplants in which a gay man was castrated and then refitted with straight testicles and i've it's never not funny, heard but that one what the fuck i have never heard that one and that is actually <laughs> the history really... channel gave that one traumatizing what literally where are they getting the straight testicles they're just <laughs> waiting for somebody to die and they're like well you're an organ donor 
We're going to take like, everything. Excuse me, ma'am. Is your husband an organ donor? She's like, yes, he is. We're going to need his balls. Oh, we're going to give him to a gay man so he can be straight. <laughs> Thank you so much. You have saved someone today. How does it even work? I Look, they still can't get testicular transplants working right. So you just had this dead flesh hanging off your body doing shit. Mm-hmm. The 1930s saw the emergence of the lobotomy cure, which we, you know how we feel about that, mm-hmm. um, in which an ice pick was placed in the individual's eye socket until it was hit, until it hit their frontal lobe, and then tapped with a small hammer. J- the most terrifying thing is looking at pictures of the lobotomy and how it's done. Well, if you watch uh, Ratchet, you can yes. see it, and I mean, seeing it on the the show where they uh, they don't pretend it's something that it's not but seeing an actual real picture of it is so terrifying yes the most popular forms of treatment though were talk therapy combined with electroshock here a therapist would interview the queer person for hours before eventually hooking them up to electrodes that attempted to shock the gay away these methods would later be toned down to resemble the aversion therapy techniques we still see today in these scenarios a person is perhaps given a pill or that makes them vomit or forced to inhale foul smells as they look at images or discuss experiences where they indulge their queer identity so if you say you're gay you might look at pictures of of naked men or men with their shirts off even and and you throw up continuously Mm -hmm. and then there's also that hot and cold technique that you're talking about and just so many other things used the idea is just to make i mean really all it's doing is not curing your queer identity it's making you disgusted of your own identity it's making you scared of your own identity it's making that it's like ptsd you know you get the trigger of seeing a gay man you should be aroused but instead you're now traumatized and you have a fucking meltdown because you've just been tortured for being who you are that's literally it it's triggering a person into rejecting who they are Mm -hmm. The 1952 Diagnostic and Statistical Manual was the first edition that publicized and classified homosexuality as a sociopathic personality disturbance. Interestingly, this classification came after Alfred Kinsey's 1948 study on male sexuality, which showed consistent gay and bisexual traits in at least 10% of the population. Kinsey would follow up with the study on women in the early 50s, and Dr. Evelyn Hooker would release groundbreaking research on gay men in 1953. But while most other doctors and therapists had turned to treating LGBTQ people like lab rats, Dr. Hooker very much resembled Magnus Hirschfeld in her efforts to destigmatize and legalize same-sex relationships. Her work, along with that of many LGBTQ activists, say a saw a slight reduction in the classification of homosexuality in the 1968 revision of the DSM. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual 2 labeled gays and lesbians as sexual deviants, a term that had become popular during the height of the McCarthy era. Yeah, so, I mean, we do see, we see Kinsey and we see Hooker emerge as these powerhouses uh, as advocating for the LGBTQ community and specifically advocating that this should not be cured. That's where they, de- they defer. human beings. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we've we've gone from homosexuality should be de- should be criminalized. Most doctors now believe that it shouldn't be criminalized. They just believe that it was an illness and should be treated. And mm-hmm. either it should be cured or you should be institutionalized or you should go undergo intense therapy. And I want to be clear, too, I know that it's so shocking to hear these um these ways that people were cured with the electroshock and the, mm-hmm. and the lobotomies but i do want to be clear that talk therapy is just as harmful 
because it teaches you just to talk negatively about yourself Mm -hmm. and to hate yourself. And again, it teaches you to revile who you are. And that is just as harmful as all these other forms of aggressive therapy. It's the opposite therapy. Huh? It's the the opposite therapy. The opposite of therapy, yeah. You're not working to get better. You're literally working to tell yourself you're a piece of shit. Exactly. And so that you hate yourself so you don't indulge in those practices. Mm -hmm. While Hooker and Kinsey worked on LGB awareness and freedoms, another doctor was joining the foray. In 1966, Dr. Harry Benjamin published The Transsexual Phenomenon, a watershed book in queer medicine and queer history. Benjamin had become sort of a celebrity surgeon after his work on the blonde bombshell Christine Jorgensen. It was because of this that he drew the attention of transgender philanthropist Reed Erickson. That's Reen. It's Reed Erickson. We covered him in episode six. Reed not only sought treatment from Benjamin, but he also funded much of Harry's work and research. With these three powerhouses in the field of sexology, that's Hooker, Kinsley, Kinsey, and Benjamin, um, the world of medicine and its interpretation of LGBTQ identities began to shift in favor of the queer community. Hospital wings and research labs sprang up as funding poured in to understand this new concept of orientation and gender identity. The gay rights movement launching in the eight in late 1969 brought even more awareness and attention to the medical field. And on on December 15th, 1973, the American Psychological Association voted to delist homosexuality as a mental disorder. It would be another 14 years until same-sex attraction was removed entirely from the DSM and nearly 20 years before the World Health Organization removed homosexuality from its list of illnesses and disorders. Sadly, trans identities were added to the DSM in the early 80s and would remain there until 2013. And only just last year, the World Health Organization removed gender identity disorder from its mental health classifications. While there is still some work to do, these wins are huge for the LGBTQ community. For more than 100 years, doctors and nurses have continued to be some of our biggest allies and supporters, as well as some of our biggest obstacles. But as complicated as this relationship has been, we can undoubtedly thank our health workers for where we are today. And your recommended resource are... Uh, and your recommended resources is a talk given by Samuel Brenton and their experience in conversion therapy. We linked this talk two years ago when we were covering conversion therapy, but you can check it out. It is available on YouTube and linked in our script. And if you are in the medical field, we suggest the manual Finway's Guide to Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Health. And if you're looking for a good book on queer history, check out Magnus Hirschfeld, The Origins of the Gay Liberation by Ralph Doss. And... We just want to say again, thank you to the healthcare workers. Thank you to everyone who has advocated and be an ally and supporter of the queer medical movement. I don't want to say medical movement, but you know, queer medicine and, and what we have today. Yeah, the um, awakening in mm-hmm. the medical field of queer identity. And I think as the years and decades go on, we will see a, um, even more continued shifts. I'm thinking that, you know more things will come to the front. I don't know what, because I'm not, I'm not in that field, but you know, something more and more progress is going to be made as long as we continue to advocate for them. And as long as we remain loud, our voices have to be heard. That is why, um, it's so important to be proud of your identity. And I know a lot of gay people who are like, I don't go to pride. I don't involve myself in those gay things. I don't do this. Mm. I don't do that. I just go, you know, I watch sports with my family and yeah, I'm gay, but that doesn't matter. But being 
out and loud about your identity is important because it allows you to advocate for the people who can't be out and loud, the people mm-hmm. whose voices are not being heard because they're scared, they're ashamed, they're locked in their family's fucking basement in the Midwest. <laughs> yeah. They're, you know, constantly being told how wrong they are. Being out and being loud allows you to be a voice for those who don't have one. Yeah. And I and I remember taking the um Taking the advice of Magnus Hirschfeld and Alfred Kinsey and Evelyn Hooker and Harry Benjamin, these were doctors and physicians who listened to their patients. When their patients came to them, they didn't automatically think, what's wrong? What do I need to fix? And I could see how that could be easy for doctors and nurses to fall into because that's what you do, right? That's your whole job, yeah. Exactly. People come to you and they say something's wrong. I need you to fix it. But they listened and they thought this isn't something that what's wrong here is is not you what's wrong here is people's perception of you and that's what i can change and that's what they did and that's what made them different so really listening to their um to their patients and not just looking to see what it was that they could correct Mm -hmm. and with that stay queer don't get a lobotomy we love you our little allied hookers and a little succulent sapphist resist the oppressors our proud homocrats and have yourself a sodomy circus. A really big one because the holidays have come out. That's Get it all right. out. Or don't. And Black, Black Lives, Lives Matter. Matter. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.